Welcome to Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Courageous Orthodoxy, Convictions for Resilient Faith. And for us at this time, we are looking at the foundations of Christian belief. We are trying to encourage you as followers of Jesus to live out of a robust theology. We're hoping that you would be encouraged by this and that you will ground your faith in the Word of God and you will live a vibrant life in the way of Jesus. Hope this empowers you and encourages you in your faith. Um, okay, grab a Bible. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians for the sake of time. Um, you started my clock. Wow, I said amen and it was going. Okay. <sighs> it's Palm Sunday. We've got these palm branches. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came in Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday and they laid down these palm branches. And, and we do this as symbolic to recognize that Jesus came in Jerusalem on a donkey. But 160 BC, a guy named Judas Maccabee came in to Jerusalem after a three-year campaign against the Syrians who occupied Israel. After that three-year military campaign, he went into Jerusalem and he rode in on a war horse uh, with an army and defeated the Syrians. He went straight to the temple and he uh, cleansed the temple of the idols that were set up uh, off, uh, set up to other deities. And uh, when they had that military victory, 160 BC, they raised up palm branches and they sang hymns, hoping that Judas would be the Messiah, which he wasn't. He was later killed and defeated. And in the same spirit of that, as Jesus rode in, not on a war horse, but on a donkey, a servant's animal, they sang Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, Hosanna. And the same people that celebrated Jesus, hoping he would be the political Messiah that would defeat Rome, he was, the same crowd chanted, crucify them, crucify him. Today we talk about the cross. We're, we're Easter's next Sunday. And we're going to talk about um, a story on Good Friday that's connected to the story right before Jesus' death. But today we're talking about the theology of the cross. And there's this passage I want you to read. It's in 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, we're going to go to a couple of passages today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, let's just read this, uh, this quick like reflection from Paul to the church in Corinth. And it's verse 1 of chapter th- 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. We have some Bibles. We'd love to give you a Bible. Or you can download a free app somewhere and, you know, carry your Bible with your idols. And so, um, <laughs> just, it's, it, it's, it's funny because it hurts. It's f- <laughs> and it's true. Verse one, it says this, uh, we pick up, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This, this passage really bugs me sometimes. Let me tell you why, okay? First of all, Paul's one of the smartest men to have ever lived in human history. Most people believe he's one of the most influential authors of persons in history. He's written like this much work, a couple of letters that have been now examined for 2,000 years and schools are built in his name, movements have been formed. He has changed culture of all of the world um, because of his wisdom and intellect. If you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, it's so smart. It's very intelligent. But what he says to the Corinth church I didn't know anything but Jesus and him crucified. I didn't come with eloquence. 
I proclaim Christ crucified. Now, that's interesting to me. Now, the reason it's interesting is because when I was growing up, I was taught the gospel of salvation. So that idea was that Paul didn't really reflect all these other things. He was just, when, he, when someone said Christ crucified, what, they were, what Paul meant was Jesus died for our sins. So that, I don't know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the gospel of salvation, how, um, you know, Jesus died so that you can go to heaven when you die. And maybe you were taught that, right? That you were taught the gospel, the good news is that you say this prayer, you believe in Jesus, and then when you die, you go to heaven after you die. And, and that's the gospel of salvation. That's part of the good news. And when we align the cross to the gospel of salvation, what we get is Jesus died for our sins so we can go to heaven. And I'm going to take it one step further, and this maybe you didn't have this growing up, but I had God the Father was angry, and so he sent his son to die so he could pour out his wrath on the angry father, and that we don't have that anger and wrath coming at us anymore. And now, I get why some people take on that theology, but it's so distorted. It's an unhelpful view of the gospel. It's, it's, not, it's not accurate. It's, it's partial. When we come to the cross, the cross is the central image of the Christian faith. Christ, I only know Christ and him crucified. If we try to reduce it to the gospel of salvation, then yeah, it's sins, forgiven, go to heaven. But we know at this church, what we taught a couple of weeks ago is that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And what I want to do today is lay the context for what's happening on the cross from the lens of the kingdom. Because it's so much more than just he gives us a way out when we die. That's part of it. That's one dimension or, or, or two dimensional. I want to give you a three dimensional view of the cross this morning. Is that Okay. So I'm going to give you three things, what we're going to do, three parts of the sermon. Part number one is the historical reality of what took place. I need you to know, Jesus died on a cross in human history. This is not the idea of him dying on the cross or the idea of a resurrection. This is the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in human history. That's what we believe. Some liberal theology will say, well, just the idea is enough. No, it's not. It's not the idea or a subject to think about. It happened. Let's look at what happened. Second, I want to reflect on the theological implications of the cross. Why did the New Testament writers reflect back on the historical event the way they did? What's the theology? Or another way you could say is, what's heaven's perspective on what happened on that day? And then the third thing I want to do is talk about the personal reflection. How do we now live in view of the cross? Because I would like to argue that the cross now is a lens through which we see the world, a model for which we live, or more appropriately, when Jesus says to us, if anyone doesn't pick up their cross and follow me daily, they're not worth, if anyone doesn't pick up the cross daily and follow me, they're not worthy of me. What does he mean by that? So, you good? You got, all right, let's jump in. If you're not, sorry, you can leave. 
go to Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew's gospel. So we have four uh, biographies of the life, ministry, and death of resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew's gospel, we're going to go to chapter 26. And I just want to, sh- I want to read over the historical events uh, of Jesus' death, okay? So um, what I love about the gospels is they give you different snapshots of different Jesus' life and ministry. And it's pretty fascinating because the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biography of Jesus, they go really fast through his three and a half years of life ministry uh, and message. Like it's very quick. And then when it gets to the last week, the, 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 the Palm Sunday, all of a sudden the narrative of the biography slows down. Mark 16 chapters, eight basically about his life and ministry, eight basically about his last week in death. There's something absolutely significant that all the New Testament writers reflect on when it comes to what happened to Jesus that day. There's so much going on. There's all these details and small things that are included. So let's look at what happens to Jesus. Let's look at the history. I'm going to go quick, okay? If you think I preach fast, I'm just going to go quickly through this because I really want to land and have, have a little more time at the end than the last service. So um, verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 14 of chapter 26 in the Gospel of Matthew Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So one of Jesus' closest friends, 12, he had 12 disciples. We're talking three and a half years of living camping, traveling, meals, sleeping in random places outside, making the fire, laughing at jokes, crying when someone got hurt, fixing things, praying for the sick, seeing demons flee, seeing healed people get healed. The, the entire three and a half years, Judas was there. That guy betrays him. Jesus has the Lord's Supper. And then in Gethsemane, uh, verse 36, it says this. So uh, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over here and pray. He took Peter and the two sons, Zebedee. So he had the 12 sit somewhere else. He took the three other closer friends. He said, and he began, he said, uh, I'm sorry. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to his close friends, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Went off a little further and this is what he said. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is in this crisis moment before he's betrayed, before he's arrested. He brings his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, And he says, keep watch with me. Stay up, pray for me. I'm at the point, other translations says he sweats blood. He's so overwhelmed. And he goes to the father and he says, if there's another way other than the cross, another cup to drink, let it be possible. But not my will, your will be done. And he does it three times. And after each time with the Lord, he goes back and he finds his disciples asleep. He wakes them up. He's like, come on, guys, I need you right now. He's texting them. I'm having a hard day. They see the little dot, dot, dot. No response. Dot, 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 no response. In the moment Jesus needed his friends, they fell asleep. Then Jesus gets arrested. 
They come with swords, they capture him, they arrest him. He stands before the Sanhedrin, which would be the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. They begin to accuse him of all sorts of things. And then verse um, 67, it says this, they, they, uh, they, they consider that he's blas- he, he, he's, uh, what he's done is blasph- blasphemy. And so they say, let's hand him over to Rome. He's worthy of death. Verse 67, then they spit on him. They struck him with their fists. The other slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And goes on in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you were with Jesus of Galilee. He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to another place. Another person came to him and said, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. A little while later, later someone else says, your accent gives it away. You're from Galilee. Then he began to uh, call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man. Then the rooster crows. Peter, remember what Jesus said before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then he went out weeping bitterly. His best friend denies him three times. Then it goes on, <clears throat> he stands before Pilate, he's accused, they, 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 it says in verse 26, they release Barabbas. If you come Friday to Good Friday, we're going to talk about Barabbas. Why is this guy in there? Who is Barabbas? What's the importance of this? And But then he, uh, it says he, they flogged Jesus and they handed him over to be crucified. Verse 28, <clears throat> they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him. This is chapter 27. um, And mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put him in his own clothes, and they led him away to be crucified, where he was crucified um, between two criminals, and he died. This is the historical event of what happened before Jesus' death and how he died on the cross. So um, here's a list of the things that happened to Jesus. I just want to show you the history behind this. So he was uh, questioned and betrayed and spit on and struck in the face, slapped, mocked, denied, given a crown of thorns, stripped naked, struck with a rod, flogged, insulted, crucified, left alone to die. This is the, the cross of Jesus. This is what we call Good Friday. Jesus was given the worst possible death you could be given. The Romans were experts in killing people. They created, they were creative in their inventions on how to kill people with the most pain and keep them alive as long as possible. That's the cross. The cross in first century context was the ultimate symbol of humiliation and defeat. This is what rebellion looks like. When you rebel against Rome, this agonizing death is what happens to those rebels, those insurrectionists, those who uh, are um, against Rome will suffer this, the worst possible death. The word cross in ancient times, in the first century, was uh, an F-bomb. Like you wouldn't even say the word cross in Latin. Uh, in Greek, when it's used in a poem by Paul in Philippians chapter two, when he talks about Christ being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the word cross would have been offensive like the F-bomb dropping today on the stage in a sermon. Because it was so offensive and so rude. Now, 
So I want, I want to just make sure you see. So historically, that list is what happened to Jesus. What it looks like in history is Romans 1, Jesus 0. Humiliation, loss, defeat, end of the ministry of Jesus. And I want to just show you an image before it goes up. Warning, I have a warning slide. This is a graphic image. It's from the Passion of the Christ. So if you have little ones, close their eyes. I'm just giving you that warning right now. You're going to see an image of Jesus from the Passion of the Christ. Let's put it up. I want to, I want to show you what it looked like. So this brutal death. So let's just get into our minds. This is history. This is my body broken for you. Now, everyone in this moment witness loss. This is what losing looks like. Romans win, Jesus lost. Now, historically, this is what we see. I want to just keep this up for one more moment. moment. Make sure you have that image. This is what the cross, this is what we're talking about. Defeat. All right, you can move it. But on the surface, you see loss, you see humiliation, you see defeat. But theologically, the New Testament writers don't talk about that, that in that way. They don't talk about the cross as the ultimate defeat or loss. Something else is actually going on. We need to peer from heaven's perspective, a theological perspective, to see what actually is happening. When the enemy, when Rome throws everything they have at you, the worst possible thing could come at you, and it comes at you, and you take it on, and you lose, you're defeated. But what happens when the worst comes at you, And then you win. Paul says this in Colossians chapter two. Let's look at this theologically. Are you guys with me? <clears throat> Babe, can you give me my water? Thank you. Thanks. Oh, yeah, that's pretty close. Good word. Good word. Wisdom from my la- my. Colossians two. Um, I promise you, this is going to get. You're just going to be like, okay, where are you going? Colossians two. Let's look at the theology. Here we go. Colossians chapter two. Paul's writing about baptism, which is a sacrament, an image, a visible sign of an invisible grace. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Excuse me. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your faith or flesh, excuse me, God made you alive with Christ. Listen to this. He forgave us all our sins. Past tense having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Okay, Paul says, okay, when you go into the waters of baptisms as a Christian, so when we baptize people in a couple of weeks, you can sign up. It's this practice where you go into the water. When you go into the water, it's like you dying with Jesus on the cross. It's like you being buried underwater, buried buried with him. And when you come out, it's a symbol of God raising you back to life. But what also is happening in your confession that Jesus is Lord is the sins that you embodied your whole life have been uh, taken away, not just taken away, but nailed to the cross, past tense. And then the debt you owed 
to God, this is this idea that because you were designed to live in perfect, loving relationship with God, Genesis 1 and 2, and you rebelled against God, Genesis chapter 3, and you lived in the ways of the world, in sin, in pride, in envy, in bitterness, in rage, in pleasure, and all the other lists we can talk about in just a moment. You deserve what's coming to you. Judgment. <clears throat> but that's been canceled. Past tense with Jesus on the cross. Okay, are you with me? Oh my gosh, sins forgiven. Yes, of course, salvation has come. The debt you owed paid. Anyone here got debt? How amazing would it be? Be like, bank, be like, oh, it's canceled. Your mortgage done. You'd be like, wow. <laughs> Freedom feels a little different. Paul's saying something is going on, but he doesn't just stop with that, he says, he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That bloody image of Jesus is your past. Nailed, done, signed, sealed, delivered. Amen. Let's go. But then he says this. Now pay attention. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Oh, that image of Jesus on the cross He's saying, that's triumph. You get chills? I just got chills. That's victory. The world says loss. No, 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 no. Something else is going on. Look at what N.T. Wright says. Throughout his public career, Jesus was engaged in launching his kingdom project, but it was on the cross that it came to its triumphant conclusion. Without the cross, the satanic rule remains in place. That is why the cross is for all four gospels and for Jesus, the ultimate messianic task, the last battle. The evangelists do not suppose that the cross is defeat with the resurrection as the surprising overtime victory. Ha ha, gotcha. The point of the resurrection is that it is the immediate result of the fact that the victory has already been won. Sin has been dealt with. The accuser has no more to say, has nothing more to say. The creator can now launch his new creation. <sighs> Kingdom has come once and for all. It's not come because they voted their right guy in the office. It's not come because we, we, we managed to figure out justice here and now for everyone. It's come because of self-sacrifice. Jesus absorbs the worst thing. And here's what's going on behind the scenes, what Paul gets to in other places. Satan is behind the powers of the world. You guys get this? Read Revelation. There's a, there's a, a dragon behind the beast. Beast being Rome. I know this is going to be hard for some of you. I know. Bring it in Revelation. Beast being Rome, the dragon being Satan. Satan gives the power to the, the empire. And the empire, Roman empire, tries to crush Jesus. Their, their work, the systems of the world are working against God's beautiful creation. And they throw literally the worst thing at Jesus. Jesus absorbs it through self-sacrifice and through love, through obedience. He takes what they have. Have, like Aikido style of martial arts, he uses the energy of evil and flips it upside down and says, the very thing you try to do to defeat me is the very thing that causes you to lose. 
If you were here last week, you caught this, but I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, somehow Jesus' death was seen by Jesus himself and then by those who told the ultimate, uh, sorry, by those who told and ultimately wrote his story as the ultimate means by which God's kingdom was established. The crucifixion was the shocking answer to the prayer that God king, God's kingdom uh, would come on earth as it is in heaven. It was the ultimate Exodus event through which the tyrant was defeated. God's people were set free and given their fresh vocation and God's presence was established in their midst in a completely new way for which the temple of God itself was just an advanced pointer. N.T. Wright says this, the cross was the ultimate manifestation of God's kingdom coming, but also an exodus event. Quick question. Or let me just, I'm just gonna give it to you. Okay, here it is. Not gonna ask you a question. (laughs) If you preach the gospel of salvation and that alone, then Jesus should have died on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day that Israel sacrifices the lamb for the the sins of all of Israel. But he doesn't die on Yom Kippur. He dies on Passover. He chooses the Passover as the symbol for him. And what we have to reflect on is the intentionality. Why? Because it's not just the atonement that's required. It's to be set free. What did Israel have? What two problems did Israel have? We talked about this last week. When they, uh, the night of Passover, you remember? Slavery and wrath and judgment. So what does the cross do in our midst? It frees us from our slavery to the sin that we have. It atones for our sins. It also covers the wrath that we deserve from God who is full of justice and love. And this is the third dimension of the cross. On the cross, Jesus defeats the tyrant king. Pharaoh was the one in charge and it's Pharaoh whose back is broken during the Exodus story. And when in Genesis one and two, God gave humans the capacity to rule alongside him in Genesis one and two. And then in Genesis three, we rebelled against God, chose to live outside of his created order. And God, and uh, as a result of that sin, the accuser, Satan took the authority of, of the kingdom of earth and had power and dominion. This is all in the Bible. This is just, you don't often get it this way. Just read this story, you'll see this. And then Jesus on the cross takes back the rule from Satan as the one true king, as the good Adam, as the true Adam, right? This is what Paul reflects on. He's now the new Adam that we have life through. And then he will go after his resurrection and he'll go, go in the authority I give you, giving back humanity the right to rule in partnership with God. How good is this? Is anyone else like, yes, How come I didn't know this about the cross? I'm sorry. This is what's going on from heaven's perspective. You're set free from sin. That's a really big deal. Absolutely. You're free from the powers of sin. You no longer have a debt owed to God. Jesus paid for that. And the effects of the evil one have been conquered and will be conquered once and for all in the second coming. And the greatest tyrant of God's good creation is defeated as well death itself. We are designed to live for eternity with God. Death comes in as a grace and mercy in Genesis 3. That's a whole other story theologically. We're in a, we're in a good series, aren't we? But let's just move on. The point I want to say is that Jesus himself defeats death and the New Testament writers see that going on. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to the, um, the, 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 the way that Paul, when talking about the resurrection, um, taunts death. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. 
Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's from Isaiah. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, can we just, can I sit real quick? I just need to sit on that one. I mean, for real. I'm sorry if your life's your mouth sit right here. Um, have you ever lost somebody to death? It hurts. Just this last week, I was working on this sermon and I wanted to call Don Williams, who passed away in the fall. And it was just this moment of like the loss, you know, and it just hits you in this random time and you just, you grieve. All, all of a sudden, all that, those emotions are there. You're like, this man who had so much impact in my life, who would be someone who would, you know, freak out and get excited about the cross of Jesus. And he would probably say, you're finally preaching it right. Um, no, he wouldn't say that. He'd grab my face <clears throat> and he'd say, that's the best one I've heard. Death stings, it hurts. But Paul flips it. He's like, in our faith as followers of Jesus, what we have to see going on in the cross, I need you to see, is the enemy and the powers of the world threw everything they could at God in Jesus. And what happens when someone throws everything they have at you and you're still standing? Like when they have nothing left. Like it's like when I was in youth ministry at, as a 20-year-old and I used to play dodgeball against 12-year-olds. Like... <laughs> It's like they, they got their, they're like winding up way back here, you know, and they're coming at you and they throw it and they're like stumbling over the line and you're just like, got it, you're out. <laughs> and what do you do in that moment? It's like eight against one and you're like, there's no chance you're going to win. You start taunting them. Is that all you got? Really? Is that all you got? Oh, come on. That's what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians. He's taunting death. It doesn't make sense. That's the theology of the cross, where the world wants you to see loss, humiliation, defeat. And heaven's perspective is the very thing you set to do, you, you put the nail in the final coffin. And sovereignty, God's sovereign power, ultimate authority and power, flips the mechanisms of the world upside down. And now the cross becomes a lens through which we interact and see the world. Okay, so historically the events happened. Theologically, this is what's going on. There's three dimensions to the cross happening. God defeats the power of sin, defeats the power of Satan, defeats uh, the enemy of death, and ushers in a new creation, all overcome through the self-sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But now he gives us a way to see and interact in the world. And it is connected to how Jesus died. It's connected to Jesus' death. It's connected to his ministry, and it's connected to his resurrection. Now, hang with me for one second. I want to talk practically. Can we go back to that list just so we know? Yeah, okay, here it is. All the stuff that happened. Can we just talk for a moment? Like, what kind of list do you need to like lose a bit of your character? Like mine's hungry. Like just hunger and then it comes out, right? 
I'm getting amens um, from my wife up here. No, she's not. Mine's like, I have a small list, right? Like, and what's going to come out of me, it won't look very Christian-like. You know, like someone cuts you off and you're like, for whatever reason, you had ownership of the lane because you were there 15 seconds before them. And now inside, in your body, it's like fight or flight. Like your brain is telling you like that crossed the line. And therefore I need to fight this person vocally in my car and speak truth about what just happened. So everyone in the car knows this person wronged me. I'm not sure if you've ever done that before. I heard, I have a friend who struggles with that. Right. It's like your, your spouse says a comment, right? The way of the world, spouse says a comment, it stings a little bit. So what do you do in the way of the world? You, you say a, a, another comment that's a little harder, right? Just like a like two degree, like just turn up the dial a little bit more. Like she said that about this, I'm gonna say this about that. And it ties in her family history. You know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> like it reminds me of your mom. And she's like, oh, no! Her mom's amazing. It reminds me, the science, her mom's amazing. Love the in-laws. It's the way of the world, right? So Jesus gets this. And let me just show you what comes out. Okay, I'm going to go fast. It says, so he's being crucified, right? And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's being crucified and there's one criminal on one side and he says, oh, you should get yourself down if you really are the Messiah. And the other guy says, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. The moment Jesus is getting the worst thrown at him and he remembers, he just oozes out. He just, he just, Gets what comes out of him is forgiveness and inclusion. But the one that gets me is this one from John 19. It's like he's on the cross. And it says in verse 25 of chapter 19, near the cross, Jesus stood with his mother and his mom's sister and a bunch of Marys. And uh, verse 26 says, when, uh, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, he saw John standing nearby. He says, woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple John took her into his home, which was the custom. So when Jesus on the cross experiencing the worst possible things and hunger, he responds with forgiveness, inclusion and grace. And he thinks to himself, who's going to take care of my mom? <sighs> he responds in love. Just why do I have to tell you this? Well, when you look at the cross, you don't see an angry father punishing his son. You see a loving God taking care of his kids. When you see Jesus on the cross, you see what God is like. Hear this, please. This is the revelation of what God is like. Gregory Boyd says, Jesus is what God looks like when there are no clouds in the way. A.M. Ramsey says, God is Christ-like and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. I like to say God always looks like Jesus. So when you reflect on your relationship with God, the ultimate image you now have is this benevolent, loving God who as the world gives him the worst, he simply says, forgive him. Come, you're included. Who's gonna take care of mom? The, great, the cross is the greatest revelation of what the kingdom of God expanse looks like. Love, sacrifice. Another way you could say it is it's the ultimate uh, way of interacting in the world. It's our model to live. So what do you do in this scenario with your workplace? 
what does it look like when, with Jesus on the cross? When, this, it's called the cruciform image or the cruciform theology. It's the looking through the lens of the cross into the world and deciding how we will act towards one another in relationship. The cross becomes our example of how we ought to live, our model. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So now, Jesus says, as we are disciples of Jesus, we have to take on the cross daily. So now it becomes a pattern for interacting with each other. It becomes the way we learn to love and build community through the cross, through what Jesus did on the cross. How are we doing? Are we okay? So yeah, now it becomes this lens through which we're going to interact and have relationships. But there's something else I feel like we need to, we need to address, and it's, it's what hit me today. Um, I, was, I was thinking, I was on a, I was, do you guys know what rucking is? You guys know what a ruck, okay, okay. So rucking is just having a backpack full of heavy weight. So um, it's like this thing you can do. It's really good for you. So in this backpack, I have about, I don't know, 40-something pounds, like 50 pounds maybe. I won't exaggerate, probably 47 pounds. Um, but it's just like for health, like it's really, it's this great exercise. And if I don't have time to run long, I'll just grab this and I'll walk up the hill. And, and I was carrying it this morning. And uh, I just want to show you what I, what I saw. I'm going to give you an illustration of what I think we have to do daily. Um, and it's heavy. It's like you try to walk for a while, it's going to hurt. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you're going to feel the weight. And I was thinking about 38 years. I have a lot of baggage. And, and, and this is what I saw. I just saw like, hey, I'm only 38. Some of you are 21. You have less baggage. Some of you are 60 and you have less baggage than me. Um, I'm a pastor, which makes me more hypocritical, unfortunately. I'm going to be judged harshly, more harshly than you. You're blessed. I'm not saying that like there's going to be judge according to scriptures because of knowing what I know, teaching what I teach. There's a separate judgment. I don't know what it's going to be like. Um, you'll just be like, oh, I hope it doesn't get too bad for you, D. Um, but anyways... <clears throat> Just thinking about like what it's like to live in the world without Jesus, but also what it's like as Christians today with a bad understanding of theology. Or maybe, so, so for me, I was thinking about the weight of my junk, you know, my sin, like that I've had for this stuff I've had for a long time. I, I've had it for a long time. It weighs me down, right? Like this, this stuff is like the shame I carry about my insecurity and that manifests itself as pride. So I act prideful towards my relationships. I don't, it, it hinders my relationship. I'm way more functional. I have both access to my arms and all, all I can walk, but, but it's something that I weigh, I, I wear that weighs me down as I go in life. I carry the pride, the, the, the insecurity, the fear, but I also have 38 years of other things, you know, lots of other luggage, like, like lust over the years and jealousy and anger, mis- inappropriate anger, rage. Um, I got, you know, just this last, that's all last week, by the way. Uh, uh, just the, uh, the inappropriate use of, of substances in my past and, and you know, how I, I lose my temper and, oh, I gotta, like, when you've got a lot of baggage like me, you got to figure out how to get through places. And I was thinking about all that stuff. You know, the unforgiveness when that one pastor takes your stuff and doesn't give you credit. And they're friends and, and you hold on to it, you know, and, and now it's something that really 
is causing you to stumble because you're not forgiving. I'm not saying you guys, have, that's, not, that's not anyone anyone's problem here. Um, but like, I think about this is how we live our life with all of our junk, right? And I just imagine myself being like, all right, hey, this is how we come to church. Say, hey guys. And you're like, hey, can I sit right there? Can you guys let me in? Yeah. And we just, this is what we do to each other. And then in our relationships to one another, it's like I'm married. This is my beautiful wife. And all of this is just going to crash on her. Right? She's saying amen in her head. <laughs> just kidding. And she's got her luggage and we're just trying to, you know, we're like, come on, babe, give me a kiss. And we're just like, got all the, all the. <laughs> this is what we do, right? This is it. We carry all this junk around and it weighs us down. Look how, look how fast I am with 47 pounds on my back. You see that? And so we come to the cross like this, right? And then we were like, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, you take away my sins, my lust. Okay, cool. All right, see you later. You know, and he's like, hold up, D, hold up. No, we got to talk about the way you deal with your finances and your envy and the way you're, you know, responding to people. Um, okay, yeah, cool, that's good, all right. And then, and, and then we're like, okay, I'll also give you that too. And then he's like, no, 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 Darren, I want, I want all of it. And I'm like, whoa, I like this one. Right? Like this is what we, like this, this keeps me at a safe distance. Like I, I've created this way of life that protects my heart. I've been hurt. I've, I've been like this, Jesus, and you know what they did to me. Um, and, and they weren't supposed to, but like this, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to run. Let's go, Jesus. We got, I got this. Like, and he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like that, that, like this thing right here. Like you try to play basketball with your kid. Watch the limitation of your fathering because your sin impacts your relationships. And like that thing that you're carrying, like it's not just about your son not being able to play ball with you. It's like you're going to hand him this and he's going to carry this because he watched you carry it. He's going to, this is my wife and I talking this morning. He's going to walk down that altar into his new relationship with his wife, carrying the same sins that I got from my dad. I got because I didn't want to hand it over and I didn't think it was enough on the cross and I thought I had to carry this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The cross is me saying, is that all you got? And so we... And then, and then, and then we, we get those things out of our life. And then throughout the year, we're just picking them back up, right? We just pick them back up. Uh, Jesus. And he's like, nope, you got to come pick up your cross daily. In order to pick up that cross, we have to lay down some things daily. Do you know what I'm talking about? And the one, the things that's the hardest to give up are the ones you don't watch. They're the ones that you don't feel. You feel it eventually. But it's, it's the insecurity It's the subtle things that look ordinary, but that at the end of the day are weighing you down. The image I have today is she's just saying, um, let me have it. It's like, let me have it. Let me have all of it. Like, let me have all of it. All the things that you've, the things that have protected you from people, let me have it. 
the things that have um, weighed you down your whole life because Lord knows what happened in the beginning of your life shouldn't have happened, but now that's the very thing keeping you from freedom. Let me have it. The way that community hurt you, let me have it. Sin, yeah, of course, let me have all that. But the effects of sin and how it prevents intimacy, friendship, relationship, humility, honesty, all, I want to take all of that. And so we come, to cross, we come to Jesus this morning reflecting on the theology of the cross, the history of the cross, but the person, the personal encounter with Jesus. He's asking you to let go of the luggage. Eventually, he's going to be like, what do you have in your pockets? You're like, oh, really? Are you going to do that too? <laughs> so, church, the cross fits in the gospel of the kingdom a little differently than the gospel of salvation. Do you understand? Do you see that the worst thing that happened to Jesus was actually not defeat, but victory, through which we can now taunt death? Is that all you got? Personally, it's something that we now have to bear daily. We pick up the cross, meaning, one, it's a lens through which we see the world. How does Jesus on the cross become our way of interacting in the world around us so that we may model like Jesus and when we're shook or hungry, if that's all it takes to be shook, what comes out, what oozes out is the grace of Jesus. And lastly, for some of us, Maybe this is the image where for once and for all, you recognize that Jesus dies in your place so that you don't have to carry the luggage anymore and that you can really be free from not just the sin, but from the effects of sin and the power it has over your life, over your relationships and over your future. So every day now, would you release what you carried in? Amen? So good. Love you guys. Can we stand? We're gonna worship. It's 1240, so I'm going to pray, and all the parents are going to go get your kids. <laughs> and if you want prayer, we'd love to have you come back and receive prayer. Or if you want prayer for anything, you can come forward. Um, but let's just open up our hands. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence right now. I pray for my brothers and sisters to be set free, to be free from the weight of the world that they've embodied, from this, the effects of sin. I pray, Lord, you deliver us from those things that we've carried in here. The burdens, God, of life that have uh, weighed us down. And God, I pray that we would fully surrender them to you. That we'd accept that your grace is too good to be true, and it is too good. And that you, you invite us as we are to bring everything at your feet. And I pray you set us free from those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We are Garden Church. To find out more about our community and to find resources to help you in your spiritual journey, visit garden.church.